This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Fractal Shepherding. And I'm joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just a minute. Before we do that, though, we want to encourage you to go to practicalshepherding.com and you can access all of our resources there. You can leave a financial gift at the donate page there. Check out Sponsor a Pastor link there, or you can go to sponsorapastor.org. That is a great way to support the ministry. It breaks it down and shows you how uh, how you can give and support the ministry and where that money will go to. But we're grateful for anybody who wants to to help us and support us and help us to continue to move forward with this ministry, including this podcast that has over 200 episodes now. You can go to the podcast page or access it however you're listening to it now on iTunes, Spotify, whatever it might be. And feel free to leave us a review there. We we read those and check those, and we, we love and appreciate your feedback. Uh, Jim, we, we want to talk about a topic that is hard to talk about, but it's something really important, it, and and it's something that we want to be able to have a conversation about. We don't have all the answers, but we do want to do our best to try to help pastors think through this issue of how to care for people who have been abused and, and, and who are in our churches, and you know, thinking specifically of women and children in our churches mm-hmm. that maybe have experienced abuse in the past or even maybe are being abused in the present and how do pastors deal with that? How do PS pastors help uh, these particular people? But we, we also want to acknowledge that it's primarily, we're going to have conversation about women and children, but there are situations where there are, are men who are being, or certainly even mm-hmm. boys would be, of course, when we talk about children. So we do want to acknowledge that, but obviously most of what we're t- dealing, what would be dealing with as pastors is going to revolve around the care and protection of women and children in our churches and having oversight as pastors and and elders we that that's something we've really got to be thinking about what do we look for how do we deal with these situations and most of all how do we care well for the people the victims who are being harmed with mm. all of this so we want to tackle a few things with this obviously we can't we can't cover everything around this but will you start us Jim just just kind of give us a biblical framework for this conversation yeah, I mean, Brian, there's a general biblical framework of the reality and the tragedy of the effect of the fall uh, upon the world and even the way that it will work its way at times into churches where you would hopefully or you would think to yourself, well, surely as pastors, we're not going to deal with this. Or if we did deal with this, we're not going to have to deal with this with members of our church other than if the woman's a member that it would only be if there was an unconverted husband and father and, and not a guy who is well-esteemed and well-liked and theologically grounded and seems like a great guy, and maybe he's a deacon or maybe he's even an elder. And certainly you would never, ever think that that would happen. And we have to realize the effect of the fall and the effect of sin uh, in the lives of people. The Bible is very straightforward in dealing with sin in the church, so that almost every exhortation and exposure of sin in the epistles is written to churches. So, you know, let he who stole steal no longer. That's written to a church. Uh, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Put all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking far from you. It's written to people in churches. And so, obviously, there's the possibility that evil speaking, clamor, wrathful uh, speech, and actions can take place in the church. And some of that is extremely damaging. But from a pastoral perspective, Brian, uh, the the what I want to really be able to touch on here is that we need to have the kind of climate in our ministry publicly and privately where things like this are are spoken about they're addressed and that there is an it, there is an air of transparency in our congregation and in our shepherding that lets people know first of all these things do happen you're not insane 
you know, particularly because sometimes, you know, what people sometimes refer to as gaslighting can take place. Mm -hmm. I'm just being a good father. I'm just, you know, showing my headship or whatever. And he's punching holes in the wall and screaming and belittling. We'll get into that in a moment. But that a woman feels, I can go to these pastors, male pastors. I can go to my pastors um, and I can say what's on me and believe that they will shepherd me. And part of being a shepherd, and you can read about this in John chapter 10, trying to set a biblical framework, a pastor who loves, a gentle pastor who protects the lives and the, and the souls of his flock, who sees what's going on, and he's a defender to them. He, mm-hmm. He's going to watch over little lambs and sheep. He's going to protect them from wolves, even, those, even if those wolves are somehow inside the fence. Yeah, yeah. And then Ezekiel chapter 34, you know, which gives a rebuke to shepherds and leaders who don't care for the weak, who don't that's care right. for the broken, who yeah, don't pursue right. those who are lost. And Brian, we, whatever else is said about us, whatever else are failings, we, we, we have to ensure that people b- have a reason to believe that uh, a hurt person can come and say, I'm not going to get yelled at by my shepherds. I'm not going to be put into a dangerous, vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. They want to take care of me and they want to deal with me and they want to deal with because very often they're going to say, I still love this person who's doing the abuse. I want. I don't want them to go to hell. I want good done. I want you to shepherd them and deal with them too. Very often, that you know that dynamic is there as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so this is a call for us not to withdraw, but to engage as shepherds. So yep. that's just a little bit of biblical background. Yeah, that's really good, and I appreciate you bringing the Ezekiel thirty-four piece into that because, though, I mean that that's that's a really just vivid imagery that 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 passage gives about yeah. shepherds who use that authority uh, and obviously to take advantage of the sheep, but certainly also to just to neglect to care for the sheep well, because that is the, the essence of what a shepherd's supposed to do. Exactly right. So I, I, I want to also, before we get into this, I want to just acknowledge that this is obviously something important for us to just be talking about at, yeah. at any point. But in the last few years, there's been several things come out that has exposed the the fact that you've had, I mean, literally Acts 20, the 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 shepherd the the elders the pastors who actually show to be wolves and have taken advantage of the flock yeah, exactly but there's also this dynamic we've seen in a lot of churches with reports coming out and those kind of things the last few years where it is shown even well-intended pastors not handling this well yeah and, and so we want to be able to try to talk about these kinds of things because we want to be able to inform uh, as many pastors as possible on how to think through this because obviously this is always messy yeah. but it's so case by case in so many different ways but so we want to be able to talk about this but we want to set up from the beginning you know our responsibilities ultimately to care for the vulnerable to care for those who are you know who are the victims of the abuse and the harm, and so yeah. we want we want to be able to focus this conversation, knowing how. to And do I think that. some even need to hear, Brian. I want to be I want to be careful and gentle in what I say by this, you know, because sadly, you know, some of these issues are sometimes uh, divided along political lines, and oh, it's lib- liberals who care about this. I don't know what's more conservative than hmm. strong people taking care of weak people and, yeah. and, and ensuring that women and children are provided for. I mean, this, this, this part of our old code of, yeah. you know, women and children right. first and, and, right. um, and we can't allow the fact that some have perhaps skewed these things and have used them to maybe even introduce occasionally some bad theology and bad exegesis and to cause us to back off 
from saying, no, these things really matter and that they're part of our calling yep. uh, in, in the world. Why don't we begin, Brian, when, when, what are we talking about when we're talking here about abuse? Maybe to give some parameters of it, what we're not talking about, what we, what we are talking about. Because again, I know some will say, well, we live in an age of microaggressions and mm-hmm. a woman who's told, no, she can't have this or can't buy this. And then she says, I'm being abused. And that's all that we're talking. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Maybe give an idea of the parameters or dynamics of the things that certainly that we would say that is worthy of addressing and confrontation and protection and all of the rest. Yeah, I, w- I would start with uh, starting on a, a sexual abuse and physical abuse are pretty tangibly measurable. Now, let me ask you this that. real quickly, Brian. When you say sexual abuse, you're talking about parent to child, or do you actually believe that it can happen within marriage, that there's that that a man can sexually abuse his wife? Is that possible? Uh, yes, sir. I, I do believe that's possible. So... Now, um, you know, there are some who question that. There are some who say I'm aware. Know, there's, a, there's a, a statement made by some that says a man can't trespass in his own garden. Yeah. And, you know, can you want to try to, I want to try to be charitable toward all in a sense. But when I hear that, I think you, you talk about opening a door wide for a man yeah. to do whatever he wants I, to do. I'll be on record, and I assume <clears throat> you would be as well, that yes, a a man can harm his wife in a sexual way in his marriage. Absolutely. So, Brian, there's a text in First Thessalonians which talks about, and this is a, there's debate on this, but there are many who agree with this interpretation. Where it talks about and it uses the language of a, a man not uh, abusing his own vessel like Gentiles do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the idea there is that there are ways that Gentiles treated their wives sexually that no Christian should do. Yeah. That there's to be an honor as she is a joint heir of the grace of eternal life. And, and again, a husband, uh, he is a savior of the body, you know, to be like, if you're going to be like Christ in regard to, uh, not the not the wrong way of looking at that, but he protects, he lays down his life, he washes with the water of the word. It's all protective language yeah. and not selfish language. No question that, that that is, there's, I think, numerous ways that uh, a, a spouse can sexually abuse okay. uh, their, their spouse. I appreciate that. So, I agree with you. So, so sexual abuse, uh, and that's certainly that's certainly parent to child. That's that's spousal also, but and I think physical abuse. I think that's a that is also a tangible, measurable way to determine if somebody's been you know been physically harmed. There's evidence of that. So I think those are the two categories in my mind that are the I don't want ever use the word easiest, the clearest to be able to define as yeah. you're asking def- definition, emotional and verbal abuse. I believe. Is, is certainly happens all the time. How you measure that is more difficult. If I'm thinking pastorally, as you're dealing with, you know, where where's the line does it cross when a when a husband and wife have a fight? Where you know where does it become uh, just a you know a a heated argument that two people have, and then it crosses the line to where someone's actually being abused in those in, in those that kind of environment. That I think there's as as you learn about the situation, I think you, we can discover that. But yeah. I think it's harder. Yeah, it is, and yeah. even you know, pastorally, you have to deal with this, and you know, the, uh, that you know, the language that's been used in recent years of bullies in the pulpit and that sort of an idea yeah. that yeah. you know, a guy says, "Well, I'm just being aggressive in my leadership," or you know, "I'm asserting my, my due right," right. and it's then the and then we say, "Okay," and sometimes it is. This is the way we're going to de- handle this. We're the leaders. We're going to, and, and and then there's also a very belittling, aggressive, and threatening right. way uh, right. to speak. And there's sometimes, Brian, physical abuse in a sense that does, it's it, it's not bodily 
Yeah. Like, for instance, the husband punches a hole over yeah. the wall no, over where her, you know, he never touches her. He I throws agree. something, kicks the door down. You know, I never laid a hand on her, but still the whole environment is extremely threatening. I, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up because that, whatever you want to call it, I mean, but, but it's, I mean, you, husband in a, in a fit of rage in an argument punches a hole in the wall. Um, whether you want to call that physical abuse or emotional abuse or whatever, but it, yeah, it's, it, it gets into the line. Of, that, this is a question. There's, a, there's actually a whole book about this. Um, that's gotten a lot of good review. I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of it, but what is abuse? You know, yeah. or is it abuse? Is it abuse? You know, and that's yeah. a question to ask and you, and you have to be able to say, okay, is this just dysfunction in the home? Is this, is this somebody with, with, um, yeah, whatever the case might be. So, and, and does this cross the line into something it, yeah, and so I, I think here's where I want to go with this, but then we're going to kind of get into some of the specifics of kind of what are the things we need to be thinking about how to how to respond to this. But I, I think it comes down to, and then I'm thinking pastorally, um, it, it comes down to safety. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So you know whether you know a woman who says she doesn't feel safe in her own home, or a child who says he, they they say they're not they don't feel safe in their mm. home, regardless on what's happening. Yeah. Uh, that's something we have to take very seriously yep. as pastors. So I just want to I want to put that category out there because I think that's what. Well, yeah, where's it an argument? When's it turn into an argument? When's it turn into abuse? Like, well, you need to first start with that. You know, how does how does a how did that woman does she feel safe in her home as a result of mm-hmm. her husband punching the wall out? You know, or whatever right. it might be. So I think we have to. I think that is a helpful place to start in the conversation. Let me turn it this way though, Jim. So what are some obvious things that pastors need to think about? in regard to dealing with these situations or how to respond into in them in, in particular. So, you know, so I'll start with just saying the every pastor needs to know what the laws are in their state and in their yeah. county around this stuff because we are we are automatic responders as far as uh, reporters in certain aspects of abuse. Is that the place to start, you think? Yeah, well, I, if, if anything, and that's a very good place to start. If anything, I would just take one step backward and just say, you know, we have to take these things seriously. Because we're, particularly, Brian, we're dealing with people that we know and and maybe people that have been our friends and, and you think to yourself, you know, I trusted this guy. I mean, this guy led a service or this guy's preached a sermon or whatever. Yep. And it's just so hard to believe that all of this could be hidden and that people could live, uh, uh, that there can be that, that dynamic of such a double life where... Um, and I, Brian, I, I've seen this happen in the past. A couple of occasions seared into my memory. One very early on in my Christian life, and then one early on in my ministry of approaching somebody's home uh, and about to knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and hearing the screaming huh. going on yeah, behind right. the you know of families that I'd been in their home. I don't know how many times, right, and right. had never had any idea that there was ever anything close to this uh, mm-hmm. in their lives. And so, you know, you have to be able to be, I'm going to begin by saying, and I'm going to use this, this may sound like nitpicking, you know, there's a lot of statements that say, well, believe women, I prefer the expression, take them seriously. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Because, you know, obviously women are people too, and they have all the dynamics of, they can take advantage and they can send to, I, I, I understand that. But you should take it seriously, yeah. and 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 you know when a woman comes in, particularly if she's presenting her case and he's not there, to say I had no idea, I, I you know I need to talk about this. I did have an incident some years ago where a woman came and she told me all these things that had happened, that her that her husband had in this case 
thrown her to the ground and stepped on her wrist. And she showed me the bruise and everything. Well, it turned out she was trying to stab him. Mm-hmm. And so like, well, I needed a little bit more information. Context so, help. Context yes. help. So what That's she true. said was true, but right. it was limited context. It's good. And, I, and I, so you do need it. But so take it seriously. And, 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 that's because, and then, Brian, I think my first step would say, and I think you've already said this, but I just want to articulate this. Are you safe? Yeah, do you feel right. safe? Do yeah. you feel threatened telling me? Are you? Do you feel safe going home? Right. And that that's a good thing to highlight mm-hmm. in that context of what you're saying. Because as pastors, like you're talking about the number one thing that makes a woman or a child even not come to their elder pastors and elders is because they they are afraid that you're not going to either take them seriously yeah. or you're even going to not not you're going to believe you're going to take the, the guy's person. side yeah, you're a guy, guy you're going to take the guy's side and and it, this needs to be this needs to be said that uh and i appreciate everything you just shared that because the the reaction we want to encourage pastors to be aware on if you're tempted to not take something seriously because you're thinking i know this guy i can't imagine he would do this yeah uh, that is if that comes out of your mouth or you think that right you need to be aware that that's not a reason to not act on this or this is that's not a reason to take this less seriously because as you said i mean people can be people can be all kinds of things behind closed doors that we just don't know about so brian you mentioned the issue of reporting and i think we need to try to understand a couple of dynamics i think if it's a child it's mandatory reporting yes for some women and again you have to understand we're going to talk about this in a moment some of the dynamics of abuse she may not be thinking clearly and she might say, "No, no, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want anything brought out that could be legal. That's brought to a courtroom. That, right, that right. he would get arrested. Any anything like that." And part of the reason she may say that is because she thinks it would put her in greater danger. Yeah. And so she's afraid that a reporting will put her in greater danger. And so you need to be sensitive to that and to say, Good "No, point. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway." Well, then she may, it may be worse for her. That's that sometimes can happen, and we need to. It's just part of the horrible consequences of, of this kind of behavior. But that's part of why every pastor needs to kind of know what the the requirements are in each place they are, because the law may require you to have to report different things depending on the state and right. and all that. But, but I agree with you. But I, I think that in those cases, if there is some, uh, you know, if, if a pastor feels the need to just, you know, try to honor whatever this woman's asking for, then... I think a step can be to, you know, for the church to act in a way to to make sure she feels safe. Whether it's providing a place for her to be able to go and stay, yeah. if she needs to get out of the home or right. whatever. It is. So I I think it it doesn't have to. I think it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And a lot of guys think of it that way. It's okay. You you don't want me to, to report this. I have two choices now. I either can not do what you asked, and I'm going to report it, or you know, what is something that's going to be helpful to me? I'm not just going to send you back into that house. Like, so if you don't want me to port it, if I honor that, can I at least, will you let me find you a place to go and stay or, or whatever it might be? But there are options to try to figure out again. That's why safety is a great way to to see this as a category, as a short-term goal with these things. Yeah. And I think we need to deal with Brian because we're, we are conservative Bible-believing men with strong theology and we have strong views about marriage and that what marriage is meant to represent and that marriage is intended <clears throat> is intended by God. Let what what God has joined together, let no man separate, is mm-hmm. meant to be till death do his part mm-hmm. and all of the rest. And we can be afraid that if we do something like encourage a separation or getting a woman out that, that we are right. somehow denying the high institution of marriage. And I want to say that we're actually protecting the high institution yeah. of marriage. And we are saying 
that what that man is doing is so violating his vows. And like, yeah. if he were committing adultery, well, we say, well, clearly he broke his vows. Yeah, right. But what about when he doesn't love and honor and cherish and, and dwell with her in an understanding way and treat her as a joint heir of the grace of eternal life? At least when I make vows, and when I give vows in, in marriage, I don't just say till death do us part. Yeah. But the, you, you vow other things. And in, in that when that husband has gone from doing, you know, what, what we would say he's called to do to lead the home, and, and again, sometimes a guy is his abuses, his frustration because he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to do that, and he and he goes off on a childish tantrum, a, yeah. a wicked tantrum. Uh, I don't want to belittle it by saying a childish tantrum, but he's so frustrated that he lashes out with his words or his fists or something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I think I think we, we have to understand that we are protecting what marriage is intended to be, yeah, and not, good. not dismissing it and treating it lightly when we talk about this. Agree, but I'm glad we we've brought this up talking about as far as you know a, a separation of some kind because when, if that's why we want to go back to if safety is one of the main things we want to get take the temperature in what's going on here. Uh, then that a lot of times is the way that that is accomplished. And yeah. so, um, but to send to, to for a, a wife or even a child to send them back into a home where they're clearly being abused or threatened uh, yeah. is is just is not. Yeah. We sometimes get into the pattern. Well, we have to protect the marriage rather than protect the people right. in the marriage. That's right. You know, so, and, and so that's that's the idea. Well, that let's I'm, I'm let's get at. into that, Jim, because I know you and I both want to talk about this. That. So we've had some of these just kind of obvious things. I mean, the mandatory reporting for children, a lot of times that process it plays itself out after that. So like I, if a child is in danger, hopefully the, the services we're required to call yeah. are going to act and protect that child. That's why we're spending and, and, a little more time right. talking about the spouse in that way. Yeah. But, but I, I think we need to talk about, so what is it that causes pastors maybe to uh, you know, even w- well intended to not handle this this well. Um, you create you you have faced a scenario around this where um, it's it's common that in when a pastor trying to care for a couple in regard to you know some things like that are going on like this. Uh, what makes a pastor end up supporting that man and? Uh, and that woman almost is is not as taken seriously yeah. as the man. So, yeah. uh, so you yeah, address I, it because I know you've I, I will. This. Yeah. So I, I think two things. One is because there is there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what our our our, our first role is. Yeah. And if our first role is I got it, we have to save this marriage rather than I have to keep this woman alive and I have to protect these yeah, kids. That's from, a good you point. Know. Yep. So that's the first thing is to to understand what your what your certainly your immediate role is. I mean, it gets down the road. Yeah. Hopefully you're hoping for repentance and all of this sort. Of thing and maybe a restoration. There'll be a beautiful picture of the gospel and all of the rest, but that not at not at the expense of uh, of uh, incredibly damaged or dead church member. Yeah. Uh, so, but the other thing is, I think Brian, it's understanding some of the dynamics of abuse, and I'm going to say this on on two levels. And so we need to understand that very often men who are abusive are very, very sorry and very apologetic for what they've done. They feel horrible about what they've done. Yep. And I, I saw, a, a, I heard a dynamic once, and it was this was in a fictional setting, but, but it was based on reality where the woman said, I never felt more love than when he'd apologize after he'd abused me. And she said something, I stay for the apology. Yeah, yeah, right. And so that can sometimes, you have to understand, like, well, who would do that? Well, this does happen. And he's so sorry. So this whole, this so I'm so, so sorry 
please forgive me. I want to be the man God wants me to be. Well, she's heard this maybe 50 times. And she's finally come to the elders. And the elders come and they have a meeting. It's the first time they're dealing with it. And he's sitting there. He's tearful. I did it. I'm so sorry. I'm a lousy husband. I've taken it to Christ. I'll never do it again. I'll never, ever, ever do it again. And she's over there and she's like, I'm done. Or I'm checked out. Because I've heard this 50 times. Yeah, yeah, right. She's heard it 50 times. She knows that, yeah, in that, if you put a lie detector test on him, he might pass. But she also knows that the next day when he's provoked, you know, that that he's going to go and do the same thing or a week later, it's going to be the same or a month later, it's going to be the same. And she lives with such fear of that, of walking on eggshells, so fearful of provoking him by, uh, I don't think that's a good idea or, you know, whatever, or I forgot, you you didn't pick up the milk, I forgot. And all of a sudden he's in a tirade over it. Um, So you look at it and you go, well, he's so, he's spiritual, he's sorrowful, he's gospel-centered. It's a picture of repentance, right? Right, he's a picture of repentance, and she won't forgive him. And and, and therefore, she can't be forgiven, and therefore, she's not living in light of the gospel. And and that's the dynamic you see. And so, good, I mean, again, this this isn't villainous. These aren't guys twirling their mustache, (laughs) how can I do to, you know, abuse a woman and protect an abuser? It's just that they don't, we we don't understand the dynamics of abuse, of what an abuser's like and what happens to somebody who gets abused over and over and over again. that's right, yeah. And she needs healing. He needs, he needs deep repentance and confrontation, and it's not immediate, immediately apparent. Yeah, that's that's a really good scenario that you've painted as far as helpful to understand a dynamic on what, I mean, yeah, the pastors are finally being brought into this, but we have to be wise to see the, the pattern that exists. And again, going back to that, I mean, do, are, do, you, do you feel safe? Do you feel mm-hmm. threatened mm-hmm. by this? And, you know, but you real, that's a really good example, Jim, of how, like you've said it before, like, a pastors can side with the man in that moment yeah. because he he looks more spiritually mature. Right, than, he's, than he's, he, he's very gospelly, and she's not. And, and so, so we we just wanted to paint a picture, and I think you did a good job of that. Of how can this actually happen? Um, because it does. We've heard the stories, and but right. of course, when when it's when it's put up on you know Twitter that this happened, people are thinking, how in the, you know what is wrong with people out in the world? Why would these elders side with these? Well, I think in That's some why, way, right. I and, think and, in some ways there, I, I definitely think there in some ways there are there are men protecting the boys club, no doubt. Yeah, in these that, that that does happen. But, but you, other times, yeah. You, but other times it's this: it's it's yep. well intended pastors yep. trying who's not God. You can't look at the heart. Yeah, you oh, can't. It, it's very emotional, and you're you're very moved by messy. how by how by how repentant he is. Like, wow, I never he, see people this repentant. He might be a good friend of yours, or a yep. church leader, yep. or what, like. So we want to acknowledge the complexities of this. Yes, but nonetheless, that that is that's a great example of how this happens. So okay, let's let's turn. Jim, last few minutes just so what are some just practical things we want to give pastors to think about as they're you know they they're they're dealing with some of these situations again maybe there's not clear evidence of physical or sexual abuse Oof, or something. you're yeah. talking emotional abuse you're talking verbal you yeah. know abuse in the home like any just some practical ways for pastors to try to discern what what to do in those moments <laughs> yeah so I have a few things, Brian, okay. and, um, and, and and there's more we could talk about, but I think we have to talk about aftercare, long-term aftercare for the 
I'm going to use the term the victim or the survivor okay. versus the victimizer, and then how do we bring this to the church? Because you know, if she's in the church, particularly if they're both in the church, something public is going to have to be said. I know you've yep. dealt with this. I've had mm-hmm. to deal with this yep. as well. Yep. So we have to understand that there is a long-term trauma uh, uh, aftercare uh, for the for the person, the child, or for the uh, for the one, it's not over simply when, hey, well, they're, they're out of the home and now, you know, now they're safe and everything's okay. There's a lot that might need to be sorted through. You may need to call upon others to help you with that. The church, Certainly. The church yeah. has its part and the pastor has its part and, and hearing the gospel, taking the Lord's Supper, being part of a church, all of those things are part of our lane. You know, we talk about sometimes keeping to our lane. That's our lane. That's what we can do. We can try to love yep. and listen and be there. Uh, but it's possible that they're they're going to need some professional care. But we also need to understand that you know you're you're going to be in this most likely for the long haul. This yeah. is not two weeks later and it's and it's all done. This isn't Hollywood. And then you may be dealing with a guy who maybe he he has to be brought. We're talking about the church here in a moment, but you know maybe he has to be brought before the church. It might be a matter of church discipline. It may be that he's in jail, uh, depending on on what's happened. And yet you know there may despite all of this horrific sin, some hope that maybe there is some gospel in the guy's soul and, and you're, you know, how am I going to deal with this guy, you know, mm-hmm. over the long term to, because you know, do I want him just to go to hell? Do I want him, you know, what do I want for him? There's long-term care there. And then Brian, I think at some point we have to discuss, you know, how do we, what do we say to the church? How do we bring it to them uh, and say enough that they understand the dynamic, that they understand something of the dynamics of abuse because the church itself are going to be, particularly where we are, we're gospel-minded communities. And we think mm-hmm. in terms of, well, we need to forgive. And the first, we've got to save the marriage. And we need to make sure she forgives. And we can downplay the importance and the sinfulness of sin, mm-hmm. the sinfulness of what has transpired, and the dynamics of it, and what it looks like, uh, and that this has been demonstrated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I know you, I appreciate that your heart is so immediately to forgive and to show grace to the victimizer and then put a lot of pressure on the victim yep. uh, or the survivor. And so that's that's a dynamic we need to, to bring before the church. Yeah, that's really good. I'll, I'll add two things. One, just kind of affirmation of what you said, but the the need to to bring in people other people from outside your church professionals to potentially help yeah. with this, not just talking about the mandatory reporting, but just like bringing in uh, counselors or others to just to need to be able to, to, to help you with, with the limitations that you have as a pastor in handling yeah. these situations. The other thing I would say though, and this goes along the lines of just one of the reasons why you don't want to, you, you want to be wise, but you don't want to be hesitant to bring these matters to the church, let them know what's yeah. going on. Because uh, one of the things a pastor, uh, I think, underestimates what he can and should do is to um, rally the church around to help serve yeah. this, the person. So, you know, one of the ways to, you know, to offer a, a, a wife who doesn't feel safe in her home because of what's going on to you know, to be able to find a safe place for her to go, yeah. that's potentially going to be found within the church and yeah. people who'd want to take her in and yeah. all those kind of things. So I, I think that one of the reasons to bring it public is, is you want you want the body to serve this this group in this way. And um, and so I, I, I want to just reaffirm that and to, to figure out creative ways to let the church uh, help you all in this, in the midst of this, mm. to serve the people who are, you know, who are hurting. 
And uh, and I just I just want to reaffirm the idea that there's there's multiple reasons to t- like you said just to take very seriously any kind of person who comes to you about these kinds of things, but one of I want to affirm one of the reasons this is important is because it it uh, it, it a it affirms uh, the the humanity of the person who's been harmed mm. to let them know look I care about this right I'm taking this seriously and we're going to act on it now what that action is is going to vary in different ways but I just want to stress the importance like pastorally to care for someone to look them in the eye and not at all make light of what's going on or mm. or act like you're doubting their story that you know that doesn't mean like you said you're not thinking of dynamics of you know what what happened in the fullness of this but to start at a place where you look that person in the eye and say I love you. I care for you. I want to. I want to protect you, and I want to do whatever I can to do that. Just don't underestimate how important that is, especially if it's a woman coming to the elders for another man who's in leadership, who has authority, yeah. to be able to look at her and say that. Yeah. I think we need to take that very seriously. How God might work in the midst of that in her own soul. Yeah, and I want to confess, Brian, in this. You know, I am I am in process of learning, and I can look back on some situations earlier on in my ministry where. Uh, I was, uh, I so wanted to see the husband repent and restored that I think I, 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 I erred in that and, and focus so much on, on that and not enough on, yeah. on recognizing just how traumatic that was for the woman to go through what she was going through. Yeah. And I, you know, realize, you know, sometimes that's, you can't undo all of that uh, yeah. other than to acknowledge it and to you know, seek forgiveness if you, if you need to in those situations. So. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Jim. And, and I have similar situations too. Just the few times that I've dealt with this, I, I, I go back and um, I think that's what we want to recognize. These things are so messy and they're so complicated yeah. that um, you know you you do the best you can in that moment. Yeah. But I think just to wrap this, I think the reason we want to have this conversation is one of the things I can say is when these moments did come to me. Uh, in our church when I was pastoring. Thankfully, it wasn't in the early years of my ministry. It was later on because I believe I would have handled it a lot worse in the early years. So by the time a few of these situations came to me, I was pretty resolved to make sure we did all we can to help, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to care for that woman well. When I want to acknowledge, I think there's a time where I would have been tempted to want to how can we make this as not as messy as possible? Yeah, exactly. And and yeah. I just want to acknowledge that and thankful that that I didn't face the situation when I would be more tempted that, than I was. Yeah, I count that as God's grace, but I want to acknowledge that Amen. because we're all there. We're all you know having to think of multiple implications yeah. of what's happening. So, so Jim, we just take a minute and pray for those listening and just wisdom and discernment for for God to give in the midst of all of these, yeah. these situations. Thanks. Our Father, thank you that your word does promise that you will give wisdom and help to those who ask it. We thank you that there's a throne of grace where we can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And Father, we do pray that as, as if we, any of those listening here, come across a situation such as has been articulated here, and they recognize it and realize it, and the all the various... Uh, Uh, fears and anxieties that might come as they so desire to do this right. Uh, Lord, we pray you'd help your servants, help them, Father, to demonstrate your own heart, uh, to go to your word for help and wisdom, and by the Spirit grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.